This podcast comes with a content warning for anyone affected by cancer. We cover heavy topics and themes, so if you need a debrief, please call the recommended support line in our bio. We also deal with a lot of different experiences and medical talk. This isn't health advice. If anything stands out to you, check in with a trusted health professional. On the Down Low is brought to you by ANSGOG, the peak national gynaecological cancer research organisation for Australia and New Zealand. Click the link in our bio to learn how you can also help women affected by gynaecological cancer to live better and live longer. You know you're going to lose your hair, but do it on your terms. Don't let cancer take it. Welcome to On The Down Low, speaking up about ovarian cancer. I'm Alison Dance. In our first episode, we heard about the early signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer. The gradual onset of fatigue, bloating, feeling full quickly, weeing a lot and irregular bleeding. While the initial development of ovarian cancer is often covert, once it is identified, it's full steam ahead into treatment. For many, including my mum Pauline, that means immediate major surgery. I find it quite comical. They actually call it debulking. And as I just thought, well, debulk all you like. Let's get rid of some of these kilos. Fantastic. <laughs> I've been trying hard all these years to debulk. <laughs> it was major. It was a complete hysterectomy. Yep, everything gone. Everything they could find gone. Basically, all your reproductive organs are removed. That's Anne. So that would be your fallopian tubes, your ovaries, all the reproductive organs. There is nothing left. And, of course, for me, that was not a problem. I just wanted to get that thing out of there. But for a younger woman, it's a very different disease, I believe, for a younger woman than an older woman. Her fertility is compromised. Yeah, so they did mention my fertility before before I got chemo and they sort of said, oh, if you want to freeze your eggs, then you can. And they asked me and I sort of was like, I don't know. You'll remember from last episode that Gauthamy was diagnosed as a teenager. I was left very confused and I wish I was more informed about this is what it means, this is how we go forward, here are your risks, like let's help you make a more informed decision Even though I was young, I think I should have been given more of an opportunity to make a choice around that or to at least know what was happening, and I don't think I was. The average age for ovarian cancer diagnosis is 63, well past the age of menopause for most women. But what happens when reproductive organs are removed pre-menopause? Caitlin? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's... You can imagine you've had... Three months of chemo, which makes you feel rubbish. Then you've had a seven-hour operation with two surgeons operating on you for seven hours, thrust into surgical menopause, and then you're back on weekly chemo again. Can we talk about surgical <laughs> menopause? Just another thing, really Just, drop what, in the what's ocean. That little thing to thrown into the mix at you there. Yeah. Well, because I was only 39, my ovaries probably started. Um, stopping working with the chemo but then because I had a radical hysterectomy everything was taken out even my cervix was taken out I now have a vaginal vault (laughs) that's what what it's called vaginal vault there's no cervix wow yeah so everything's taken and I've got a scar like and I'm going to say this to you and no one else clit to tit I say (laughs) (laughs) 
It is literally like from down here to in between my cleavage. Anyway, I mean, the surgery and the chemo, I felt so sick that I didn't really notice those menopause symptoms too much. But what I did know is that I wanted to go on HRT very quickly, hormone replacement therapy. And I'd already said that to my surgeon before. And there's a big um, stigma around HRT. Now, there is a link with the pill and I think some HRT with breast cancers. So I think in the community, a lot of women are scared that if they have HRT, it'll make their cancer come back. Now, I had done my research and I trust my surgeon completely. And he said, you have this low dose, it's only estrogen. And he said, the data actually shows better quality of life and longevity. So if anything, it's not going to cause any problems. And I was only 39. Hopefully, eventually, I was still going to have a sex life with my husband. And I was hoping that I'm still going to live for quite a long time. So I know that menopause causes a lot of stress on your heart and your bones and so on. Um, yeah, so I, I decided to take it. And because my cancer wasn't hormone sensitive. They can test for that. They knew that it wasn't going to cause any problems, but that can be different for other ovarian cancer types, perhaps. The whirlwind doesn't subside. After surgery, there's chemotherapy to deal with. Then I had to have this weekly chemo after. That was a dark time and I couldn't stand up straight because of the surgery. I couldn't breathe properly and I couldn't pick up my children. I've got videos that actually I used when I spoke at Parliament House and my children are so little, like Willow's still in nappy. She can barely talk. We're looking after mummies because she got cancer. And I got out of hospital and they've got their little doctor's outfits on and I'm lying in bed, bald, just obviously pale and really sick. Best doctors in town. And they're just listening to me and they're, oh, mummy, we're going to make you better. And then the eldest Lilith said if anyone else has cancer and it was just it's so beautiful we hope you get but I look back at those videos and I just I don't know how we did it I I they were waking up in the night we're changing nappies they weren't at school yet we didn't have family support really but yeah I got better While there's diverse experiences for those living with ovarian cancer, first treatment steps usually unite them all. There's not a lot of like, oh, what kind of treatment options do you want for your first treatment? You know, there's a kind of a bog standard approach. That's Kristen, a prominent research advocate amongst the ovarian cancer community in Australia. In ovarian cancer, it tends to be, all right, when are we going to get this chemo into you as soon as possible? And the concept of options tends to come later. So it's very very much a shared experience for everybody for that first treatment. If they've got the standard type of cancer, if you've got a stage one or two and you know it may be different. But the majority of us have this this common experience and I think that's actually what goes a bit to this community is that we do tend to have a common start to our individual stories. Yeah, it's beautiful in that way. It's so yeah. it makes people feel a little less alone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. When you're in the chemo room, shoulder to shoulder with all the other ovarian cancer ladies, you're all getting the same stuff. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean the same side effects. Yep, chemo can come with fatigue, hair loss, anemia, appetite changes, constipation, neuropathy and pain. Mum rarely complained, just determined to get through. Aching legs was a huge, huge problem as well. And low blood pressure. 
um, my blood pressure would just plummet. So a funny story about that. So I had, had heard that if you lie flat and put your feet up on the wall, that will help your aching legs. So I went out in the back room and I did that and it really did help my aching legs. It felt great. So I did that, I don't know, I would say a good half hour. Then I came inside and I was in the kitchen near the sink and I just felt a bit lightheaded. And then a few minutes later, what the hell am I doing on the floor? What are my glasses doing on the floor? And what had happened was I had fainted and I didn't even realise I had fainted, had a sore head, hit my head. So I had to go in and wake up Jeff and say, look, I'm sorry, I've just fainted. I need you to sit up and watch me for a while. So we sat up at 3am in the morning watching TV for a couple of hours and went back, had a bit of a snooze, but went up to the hospital to make sure everything was okay. (laughs) Didn't tell any of us about this, of course. I want to know too about losing hair. Uh, How did you manage that process? Yes, losing hair, I was told I had probably a three-week barrier after my first chemo session because I would lose my hair on my head first and that would happen very quickly. So I just thought, well, stuff this. I'm going to do this on my terms. So we went off to the hairdresser here in Griffith. Beautiful, beautiful person who runs it and she actually has a cancer room where she takes women and she talks you through the steps you can try on wigs you can try on headwear she can order things and I just said look I want mine shaved off now so we did we got it shaved off because I didn't want it falling out in clumps which I was told it would happen and I felt that would be much more soul destroying and Luckily, I had a beautiful shaped bald head, so and it looked quite nice, really nice. I still had some hair on there, and I wore a cap, and I ordered a wig that day as well. So I would say the best thing is take it in your hands, seize that time. You know you're going to lose your hair, but do it on your terms. Don't let cancer take it. Galthamy agrees the side effects can be confronting. Um, I definitely had fatigue and I know this sounds not as important in comparison, but my nails went really dark and so I could never paint my nails. Yeah, it was just a side effect of one of the chemos I had. And when you're 13, like that's a big deal. So, oh, and I obviously also lost, I lost my hair. Um, So I take that back. That was the worst, that was the worst symptom. Like fatigue and nausea, 13 year olds can deal with, but hair loss, like I don't think any 13 year old should have to handle that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. How, how did you cope with that? Um, I think it was really awful. And I think it made me realize how much hair is sort of associated with femininity and beauty. And especially at that age when you're trying to sort of figure out exactly what that means for you and you don't have the strong foundation of confidence to sit upon. I think it was really difficult to go through that. And I think it was also hard because because I wasn't experiencing any side effects to chemo really. It was the real, it was the only sign that I got that I was dying and there's like no other way to articulate it. Then I like, that was, that's what was happening to my body and me losing my hair was showing me that that's what was happening and it wasn't very easy to ignore. So I think in both those ways, it was a really difficult thing to experience. 
At a time when so much is uncertain, taking control of what you can is an important step for many in the community. It's something Anne from Canberra became expert in. Well, chemotherapy, I had a, a combination of two drugs. Three weeks after surgery, I clip-clopped in to meet my oncologist in my high heels. Determined to look fantastic. <laughs> Amazing, I bet you did. <laughs> and not like someone who had cancer, which makes no sense whatsoever. And the one thing, or one thing I do remember from the only appointment I really had with the oncologist before I began chemo was, you will lose your hair. And I thought, that's not an if, but, or a maybe. It was That was the only thing she could tell me would be one of my symptoms because of one of the drugs. So I thought, oh, right, okay, time to get a very good wig. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I did. Our daughter came from Melbourne and I said, there's one thing I want to do while you're here and I want to buy the best wig I can find. So I did. And she helped me and she's, as only daughters can be, she was brutally honest I'm noticing a common thread in your story, taking care of your appearance from head to toe. You know, Ali, that's really perceptive and I have never had anyone put that to me before. But, yeah, I guess that's... um, If I have to do some serious introspection, I'm not a beautiful woman who wants to look beautiful all the time. I am a very average person, but I guess... I don't know. I I just want to look okay. I've always worn makeup. If I leave the house, I've got my lippy on. I think it was a bit like my armour in a way. I was going into battle and I was determined to be that good statistic. So one of my ways, I guess, was not looking sick. I would keep thinking, I don't want to look like I've got cancer. I don't need sympathy. I don't want to look bald. I don't want to look bland. I don't want to look pale. Um, but that was just me. Other other women are really happy to be bald and they look gorgeous. So I ended up, my my first memoir is going to be called I Love My Wig. <laughs> Some side effects aren't as easy to cover up. That was Jacinta's experience post-surgery. And I came out of that with a, with a stoma because they did a bowel resection. And I think that's one thing that is so shocking with ovarian cancer. You don't realise that actually the bowel issues are huge. So many do have stomas, either permanently or temporarily. So... That that was hard because you can't leave the hospital until you can manage the stoma yourself. Because of the stoma, you're in a different ward. The stoma nurse was incredibly helpful and I did contact her regularly by text and that afterwards. But it was about the stoma because it's very difficult to, to manage. And it was summer, you know, it was that January, it was 35 degrees, um... And I think for, you know, for my husband that, that and, and for my family, that was perhaps the more, one of the most shocking parts of it to see me with a bag, even though I had it tucked away and 
I, I kept saying to myself, you know, I could cope if I had to keep it forever, but I definitely didn't want to. And please excuse my ignorance here, but we mm-hmm. are talking um, on the down low. Uh, yeah. What sort of things are you experiencing in that two years when your bowels are trying to find themselves again? What are we talking <laughs> about there? Um, well, it can, uh, well, it, it, it Yes. Basically what happens is, well, what happened for me is um, my bowel just got really lazy and it just sort of lay there and didn't do anything. So I I would eat, but very little would come out. And I had to, and here the stoma nurse was really good. I contacted her, I would text her. And um, so we started off with things like suppositories um, and gosh, uh, things like Cosena and prunes. And so you're trying to take in all these laxatives on one end and and doing the suppositories at the other end. I'm sorry, too much information. We love too much information. Yeah, but but I I exercise regularly. I walked all all the time. I I, I never, um, except when it was raining and probably except just after surgery, I I walked every day. You've got to drink a lot of water um, and you've just got to be constantly attuned to making sure that your bowels are working. There's another little-known side effect of gynae cancer, lymphedema. Cancer Australia conservatively estimates around 20% of people treated for gynae cancers will experience this. Claire found it can exact a heavy emotional toll. Um, When the cancer gets into your lymph nodes and your lymph nodes are not working properly, um, they don't drain as well as it should be, and you get build-up of fluid. And particularly with something like ovarian cancer, a lot of those lymph nodes that are diseased are around your, your abdomen and, and your pelvic area, and it causes a lot of fluid to build up there. And then naturally the fluid goes down into your legs and it builds up in your legs. It is a really, really horrible, debilitating part of cancer. Yeah. It's usually at late stages, certainly with mine, um, it's only been the past six months six or so. Six months, yeah. And it just came on. And it's for for a female to suddenly just have these pockets of fluid going down your legs. It's it's ugly. It's embarrassing. And people don't mean to, but people... We, we actually first noticed it on holiday mm. by the pool. Um, so, someone was just staring at my legs and I looked down. and t- That was the first time I'd noticed it. Yeah. And... It's, it's a very emotional issue. Um, and also, you know, uh, there's a lot of help out there. There's, there's some wonderful lymphedema um, specialists. And I, I certainly got a wonderful lymphedema specialist and she does a lot of work with me. And it does help. Certainly does help. But, um, but it does come back. Um, but it... Yeah, I don't think people realise it's not just your legs. That's what people see. Oh, where where else um, is it? It well, can, can be, it be in the in the pubis area, certainly in the genital crotch area. It's it can be pretty big and puffy, and uncomfortable. Probably ladies don't realise, or maybe ladies who've experienced it maybe not talk about it. But yeah, people don't really understand that. And I've had friends say. Oh, it's not that bad, no. but they don't, they'd only seen that part of it. Fatigue, pain, hair loss, Vivinda worked with her medical team along the way to improve her treatment experience. I then had a conversation with my medical oncologist and he suggested that I put a port in. It 
has been um, very, very convenient for me. You can draw blood using the port and you can also infuse medication through it. So that's how it's being utilized. Uh, it's just getting it in the first time. And, and I suppose when you get it out, I've often thought about getting it out, but I, I think I'm going to maintain it for the time being. Yes, I understand it can stay for 10, 15 years within you, yeah. And did you find any other tips while you were experiencing that harsh chemo? You talked about drawing to um, to keep your mental health up. Did you find anything else to um, support how you, you're feeling physically and emotional, emotionally during that time? Yeah, so one, one of my biggest problem was sleeping. Due to a whole range of reasons, I suppose one of them was chemo and the other was just fear of reoccurrence and for ovarian cancer, if you have an advanced stage, I was stage 3C, the reoccurrence chances of that is anywhere from 70 to 90%. So that was extremely frightening for me. And that's the last thing that would be on my mind when I go to sleep and the first thing on my mind when I wake up. The other thing I experienced when I was going through chemo was uh, weakness in my joints and muscle spasms sometimes. And again, I just endured and I did a lot of walking and I think that did me good. Strolling actually around the neighborhood and taking photographs as I went along to keep my mind occupied. So one of, one of the things I used to do is I used to go down to a beautiful, beautifully manicured park, which is five minutes walk from where I live. It's called St. Vincent's Gardens actually. And I used to sit in there and just meditate, I think, and listen to music. And it was very calming in there, blue skies. So most of the treatments I've had when I was going through chemo was in summertime. We get to see blue skies for a change in Melbourne in summer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the greenery around you, and it was very calming. That really helped me a lot. Next episode on The Down Low. Very smart man. Happy wife, happy life. I do feel like I had to protect other people. We said, that's not us. It's not going to break us. Mm. But it nearly did. We're talking sex, belly dancing and poo. It's the new reality, relationships and living with cancer. We covered some difficult ground this episode. So a reminder, there's a link to a recommended support line in our bio and chat to your trusted health professional for any medical advice. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave a comment and share, plus join the conversation with us on social media. On the Download Season 1 is sponsored by the 2021 Sydney Westfield Local Hero Program and is written, edited and produced by Nyasha Nyakwangama and me, Alison Dance. Let's speak up about ovarian cancer.